0: Welcome to the C12 Podcast. C12 is a college and young adult ministry where 20-somethings at 12 Stone Church gather on Thursday nights. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. All right, all right. Well, hey, welcome to C12, y'all. Welcome to the best night of the week. Come on. Hey, there's some energy. Come on. Hey, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Justin. I get to be a resident pastor here with our college and young adult ministry Uh, And hey, if this is your first time joining us, we're so glad that you're here. We got a ton of new people tonight. So let me just be the first to say welcome home. Welcome to the family. We've been praying for you, we love you, and we are excited to have you join us tonight. But hey, part of that is maybe you swung by the first time guest tent out front. If you got your gift, you got a little something, something. Uh, If you didn't, we got a free coffee and a little gift bag for you. We'd love to just get a chance to meet you. One of the best ways for us to do that is if you guys go ahead and scan this code on your phone, if you pull out your camera, it comes straight to me. I'd love to connect with you this next week, figure out how we could best serve you, figure out how we could help you to get plugged into community here with our family. But part of that, one of the things we do for community is at the end of every month, we have a huge gathering. It's always lots of fun. There's always a theme. Like last week, we had our community and worship night. How many of you guys got the chance to be a part of that one? Okay. Okay. And so this month, a little sneak peek, uh, you can see the font of this one. Uh, Coming up, we've got our fall party on October 27th. Oh, I don't know if you recognize that font. Uh, little, uh, if you if you picking up what I'm putting around, uh there's a little bit of a theme for costumes, maybe a little bit. Okay, I'm giving you a preview. Uh, there's some stranger things going on. So we'll have some we'll have some some good stuff, treats, snacks, uh, lots of activities. There'll be some good stuff. Uh, I will challenge many of you to mini games, and I will beat all of you. So come hungry, come ready, uh, I'll beat you. Uh, Hey, part of that, part of what we do for community isn't just at the end of the month, it's starting tonight. And that means that right now, in this very moment, small group registration is open. Small groups are officially launched, and we would love to help you get plugged in. Small groups are one of the best things that you can do to find community. It's the best place to grow. If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to uh, work through something in community, if you want to be known or to know people around you, you just want to have a place where you belong. Small groups is the answer. Thursdays are wonderful, but I hope and pray that they would lead you to small groups because that's where God does some really beautiful things. So hey, I'm gonna walk you through how to do this. So if you are interested in uh, signing up for a small group, they start this coming weekend. So if you wanna jump in on the first day, here's how you do it. You are going to text the word GROUPS to 37748. There's a slide eventually, we'll find it. You're gonna text the word GROUPS to the phone number 37748. It's going to pull you up to this page right here. Oh, please load, don't do it to me. I'm going to sit in silence until this works. I'm not gonna do that, that's gonna be painful. It's gonna pull up groups. You guys are gonna see lots of stuff. There's a list option. If you select lists, go down to group type, you'll see college, you'll see like eight or nine available groups. We've got some really beautiful things happening uh, in groups. They start this coming week, so get plugged in. You don't wanna miss out on the very first week. It's full of relationship and community, lots of good stuff. Uh, But hey, we've got a fun night tonight. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and invite Alex up. Um, We've got something fun before we start the night. Uh, We've got something fun. Uh, Emily is now sinking down in the back because she knows this is for her. Hey, do you guys know Emily? Uh, If you guys, okay. Emily, everybody turn around real awkwardly. Emily, raise your hand. Wave real high. That's Emily. If you don't know Emily, uh, we we just want to give her some honor. We want to give her some praise. So Alex, uh, why don't you why don't you take this part away? I'll grab something.
1: Hey Emily, I want you to I uh, want you to come up on stage. Uh, and as she's coming up, I want to brag on Emily for a second. Uh, if you know Emily, you love her. Uh, why don't we get up for Emily as she walks on up? <laughs> yeah, hide behind the hide behind the bush. That's not there. Uh, but hey, um, as you are uh, still walking up, I want to uh, share a little bit about what Emily uh, is at, and, and has done at, at, at 12 Stone. She is a uh, creative resident here, which means that she works with our creative team. And so, uh, and, and and part of that and part of her residency was actually jumping in on C12. And so, uh, a part of every week and what she would do is she'd be back in the booth and everything that you see coming in creatively, graphics, slides, the feel, the look, like Emily's the architect behind all of it. Uh, and she's been a part of c12 uh for a long time now and uh and this is a little bit uh, impromptu uh and uh and 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 we didn't we didn't really plan for this but we're gonna do it anyways and i want you to take the mic uh, and uh, Emily shared something I thought was really, really good uh, during a huddle, and uh, this is kind of part of Emily's story. It'd be dumb of me just for me to share. I want you to hear from her uh, of just a story, how you got to C12. We're going to take a second, want to pray over you, celebrate you, uh, but I just wanted to share uh, your journey coming into C12. I thought it was just too good uh, to not share it. So can we just like uh, just kill quips for a second? I just want uh, you to hear like her story inside of it, uh, and I, I just want you to share that with other people coming in.
2: No, you can actually play Justin Bieber behind me. Uh, No, they didn't tell me I was going to talk, so sorry about this, guys. I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. Okay, um, let's see. There's a lot of new faces here. Um, I started attending C12 in 2019, so before the world ended and everyone turned to zombies. Uh, I just had a baby. I know you can't tell, but... uh, Yeah, she is three now, which is crazy. Um, But at the time, after I had Elnora, she was eight weeks old. And I had just been really struggling with my calling and just been asking God, like, you know, I'm just up in the middle of the night with this baby. Do you even see me, God? Do you know the things that you put inside of me, the plans that you have for me, the things that I thought that you had told me that you had for me, and I felt really lost. And I got an invitation to come here. And so I stood in the back of the room with an eight-week-old baby. I don't know if some of you guys are here. Um, But I didn't fit in, (laughs) because you guys are really cool. (laughs) And um, I felt very uncool. And Josh Ivey was speaking on calling at the time, which I was like, oh boy. God, what the heck? (laughs) We've been talking about this. And uh, it got to the end, and he said, okay, uh, I want you to write out on this note card under your chair three things that you feel like God has for you to say to somebody else. And I was like, okay, I don't know anybody here, and nobody's going to bring me a note card, and I just need to, like, sneak to the bathroom. This is really awkward. And um, actually, one of you, which if I, if it was you, I would love to meet you and hug you and cry probably, um, but one of you brought me a note card that said, brave, called, and seen, which were the three things that I felt the absolute least. Um, and so in that moment, uh, you guys became family, and God knitted my heart to you, and you became family. Um, what God had for me and for my calling. And um, I always felt like God wanted me to help other people feel seen and known and loved. And in that moment, it was like, okay, I'll get in, God. I'll get in. And um, so it was three years of opening my house to house parties. If you guys were in house parties... If you weren't in house parties, you missed out because freaking there were baptisms in Holly's truck and God was moving in our houses because we couldn't meet here because, you know, everyone was zombies. We'll go back to that. Um, But that happened. I've seen, man, some of you take some really incredible uh, steps of faith. Freaking Keely, I was just telling her, if you've met, if you've not met Keely, can you raise your hand? This is like, I just need to, sh- this is like one of my chance to shout other people out because I love you guys so much. So it's like, sorry, Alex, this is going to be about everybody else. Keely's heart is an open door. She has a heart for hospitality and she loves like Jesus. So if you haven't talked to her, you should because she'll make you feel like she's known you your whole life. Holly, where are you? Woo! Woo! I'm try- cry not to cry. <laughs> Holly is um, the most loving and um, joyful person I've ever known. She represents Jesus. She shines him in everything that she does, and she's authentically herself, and she will do anything for any of you in this room. I am going to be in the creative track here at 12 Stone. (laughs) Which means I'm not leaving, but I get to make things that glorify Jesus and um, help build the church, but just not with you guys every Thursday. Um, But I just want you to know that if you are in a season where you feel um, like God doesn't see you, um, or that you feel muddied in your calling, or you feel a little bit lost, I want you to know that um, you are seen, you're brave, you're called, and to never uh, lose sight of that. And you're here for a reason. There are people around you who will make you feel like you're part of a family. And you'll get to three years down the road and realize, oh, my gosh, I don't want to leave these people. I would literally give my life for all of them. <laughs> and um, if you came here for the first time tonight and you're like, oh, another college ministry, I'm just here to, like, find a guy. Like, find a girl. Or uh, maybe just check it out because you want. To, there's nothing else to do. Um, there's a family here, and they'll push you to not just uh, know more about Jesus, but to experience him face-to-face. So, I love you guys, and I'm going to miss you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so good. Come on. Can we go, family? And we love you so much. Uh, we gave you a little uh, picture. Justin, you can show it as much as you can. Uh, it was uh, the worship night back in June. we got to be part of that back in June. Uh <laughs> Emily is live, the architect behind that, and uh, it's something we just want to bless you with, and we want to take a moment to pray over you. And so, uh, Justin, I want you to, to, to pray over Emily, and if you're uh, in your seat, you know Emily well, you can go ahead and just lift a hand, and you can just uh, pray over her and join uh, in on this, but I just want to take a second uh, just to pray over you, and a little bit of a, a send-off and a commissioning. So, Justin, why don't you pray over Emily, and
0: just let's just set the tone for the night. Absolutely, also pray with me. So, Heavenly Father, we we're grateful for your kindness to us. That Lord, and, uh, and your sovereign hand, you saw it as good that Emily would come and be a part of this specific family. Uh, Father, you have had an impact through her and in her um, in ways that none of us could possibly imagine. Lord, because of the rooms that you've put her in, because of the ways that you've gifted her, because of the ways that you have grown her and ministered to her heart and transformed her life, Father, she's able to use her gifts to create environments and content that draw people people closer to you. And so, God, we give you all praise. We give you all honor and glory. That, Father, her calling belongs to you. Her gifts belong to you. And she's being a good steward of them. So, Father, I thank you that in her obedience and in her surrender, life change has happened in this place. So, God, I pray over her in this next season. I pray over her husband, Daniel, and her little baby, Elnora. That, Father, you would knit their hearts together like they've never known, that you would guard them in unity, and that, Father, you would use this family on mission to accomplish your purposes. That, Father, there would be great joy when she thinks back on C12, but there would be great hope when she thinks forward, knowing that you're in all of it. So, God, would you, uh, would you bless Emily with the time that she spends with you in this transition be so rich and full? Would there be no question about whether your hand is on her as she moves forward? Uh, So, Father, fresh anointing and fresh favor over her is what we ask for. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: We love you, Emily. (laughs) Let's give her Emily one more time as she walks out. Hey, we love you so much. And uh, obviously tonight we're starting out a, a little differently, but we kind of hope and, and, and pray that you have the same journey, that you have the, exp- the same experience uh, that the Emilys had of coming in and just feeling a sense of, of belonging and feeling a sense of family and, and feeling seen and known uh, and, and loved. And so uh, tonight we're just going to kind of uh, start off uh, a little differently than maybe what we normally do. Uh, but uh, I'm so glad that you're here. It's Thursday. Come on, you guys you guys doing good tonight? Ready to rock and roll. Uh, man, it's good to see you. I'm really excited for tonight. I'm excited that we get to kick off a brand new series going over uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, uh, and and I'm really excited to kind of uh, jump into tonight. I normally start out things coming out of the gate. just a lot of energy and excitement and, and just jumping right into it. But uh, I want to kind of ease uh, uh, the way into uh, tonight's teaching. I might start out a little differently than what I normally do because uh, I don't really need more. Uh, I don't need to be more loud or more energetic. I'm probably that already. I don't need more caffeine but uh cheers so we're gonna do it anyways (laughs) i mean i thought that was funny but okay um uh so um tonight we're just gonna start out a little uh differently going over the uh fruit uh of the holy spirit uh and what it means to actually bear fruit but uh why why the fruit of the holy spirit why this series why now uh why are we jumping into this why does it matter Uh, And I just kind of wanted to build a little bit of the on-ramp of why we're having tonight's teaching, why we're having tonight's conversation, why we're jumping into this, why does it matter? Uh, And and you can kind of give feedback. You can say yes or no uh, to these statements. Uh, But young adults are wanting the real thing, yes or no? Oh, that was horrible. Young adults are wanting the real thing, yes or no? Young adults are wanting true change, yes or no? Young adults are looking for authentic community, yes or no? Young adults are looking to see if Christians are legit, like yes or no. Young adults are wanting to, to, to have something genuine, raw, and, and real, yes or no. And you'd rather have the holy chaos than some put-together package, yes or no. Would you disagree with that? You know, we felt not maybe as strong about that one. That's all right. <laughs> But there's something about just our generation, our demographic, that just, hey, we'd rather have what's genuine, we'd rather have what's real, we'd rather have what's true, and maybe some of us have experiences in our past that don't allow us maybe to experience that currently, or maybe we're a little bit hesitant when it comes to that. I just kind of want to give uh, some statistics of, of a little bit of, of, of our generation. Maybe you are a millennial in the room. Maybe you're a Gen Z. Maybe you just have no idea what you are. You're one of the two. So uh, I don't know what year you were born, and maybe you're like, I don't know what generation I'm a part of, but uh, I want to kind of go over some things that are, that are often true uh, of young adults. These are just some, um, some stats according to, to Barna. They're a research group that actually uh, studies uh, some, uh, some young Christians in the faith, whether it be kids or Gen Z, older adults, different generations, and how they uh, not only experienced church, but uh, how does a demographic think, what they value. Uh, and, and this is just some of it. it says when it comes to their faith, this generation is known for deconstructing their faith, both in healthy and unhealthy ways. Uh, have you ever guys uh, taken a personality assessment before? Uh, and, you, and you've taken the Enneagram. How many of you have taken the Enneagram? We talk about that sometimes around. Yeah, yeah. And every time you read the Enneagram, you like read the worst parts about yourself. Uh, and it's like uh, when I started getting into the whole personality assessment, I got into like, what is a seven? And it was like uh, all these horrible things. And I'm like, that sucks. This is stupid. I don't want to take this. Uh, I'm literally going to do some of these stats. of like, man, that sucks. I don't want that. I don't want that to be true. Uh, but, but these are some of just the, the, the things just to paint a broad picture. Uh, and, and this, our generation, millennials, Gen Z, they're, they're far less likely to have a biblical worldview compared to other generations. Millennials wrestle and struggle with church hurt. 60% of millennials, hang with me, 60% of millennials have a positive perspective about Jesus but not about the church. 60%. Millennials have a more positive outlook on journalists elected government officials, college professors, their parents, entertainment celebrities, authors of nonfiction books, their friends, and popular social media personalities than they do pastors. Almost 40%, hang with me, almost 40% of millennials say they would not even afford the minimal level of trust to a pastor. You might say, oh, well, wow, Alex, aren't you kind of painting a bad picture of, of pastors? Aren't you kind of giving them a a bad rep? No, I'm just trying to paint a a, a really good picture of brokenness. There's something that has just begun to get a little bit broke in our culture. It's a little lost. It's a little damaged. There are things that are kind of broke when it comes to our culture, and I just kind of wanted to boil it down into maybe just the, the, the one thing that might be a lost value or something that is broken in our culture, and it's trust. There are things that Things have been done to you. Things have been said about you. And then when you don't trust, it leads to uh, other issues of, well, now I don't want to be loyal and, and, and who cares? You, you, you hurt me or I grew up in, in, in a bad home environment or I grew up and this is my experience. And you know what? Now because this is broken, now loyalty becomes a, a factor. And then when that uh, even grows even more, it's now, well, well why, why, would I, why would I even submit to authority? So when, when, when everything is all broken here, then you start having other issues of, of, of here of loyalty and of submission to authority. Listen, you're not dumb. You have social media. You can look up the stats. You can look up the, the, the facts. You can look up people who have had moral failures. You can look up uh, all, the, all the maybe brokenness that, that you have grown up with. Or you can look at how people have let you down. But the bigger thing of what's lost in our culture is trust that trust is a lost art. Trust is really what it comes down to being broken. I want to read this from from George Barna. And he's just painting a picture of of a generation that we're growing up in. He says, They, meaning us, never asked to be coddled and overprotected by their parents. They were not born perceiving others on the basis of cultural categories they filled. They had no intention of becoming lightning rods for social change. They are largely the product of the unaddressed dysfunctions of the generations that came before them. The generations that raised millennials to become who they are today. I'm not saying this quote just to like, oh, we're coming at a certain demographic or we're coming at uh, older people. This is not, hey, let's come on Sunday morning with signs and being like, yeah, all the old people stink. This is not like, a, oh, it's all their fault. It's, but sometimes you're just, you're just kind of dealt a bad hand. Sometimes you just maybe you're just kind of born into this family dysfunction that you didn't really ask for. Sometimes you're just growing up in this kind of cultural war zone and you're like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask for the way our culture to be what it is today. I, I didn't expect uh, to, for this to look like the way that I, that I thought I was going to look. And sometimes you're just a bad hand. How many, how many of you, you like, man, you love, you love playing card games, you love playing games with family. Uh, uh, that was like a tradition of yours growing up. Uh, what, what, what was like the card game you guys played or what was the, the thing you guys did? Uno, uno, shout it out. What else? You say basement? That sounds like a weird game. I don't know. Aces? Spades. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Speed, all right. Third time's a charm. Eighth time's a charm. Uh, you, you guys have all had maybe had your own different like game that you played growing up. See, see, for me, it was this game called cribbage. Has everybody ever played cribbage before? Yeah, all the people that are like... <laughs> We're we're old at heart, dude. We are an old man. We got the Benjamin Bunn disease. We're like an old man trapped inside of a young body. Like we, we play these old games. Uh, I played this game called cribbage, and it was like you have to have a certain hand to get the max amount of points. And every time I played, I I was always with my mom, and I always had like the the, the perfect. I always had the perfect hand. My, my family would hate playing card games with me because I had this weird luck of like every time I always just had the right hand. I had the, I had the, 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 the right thing. And my, and my sister and my mom, my brother, they'd all just, they, they'd hate playing card games with me. Because somehow they always, you just always draw the right card. And then there was one occurrence where I just had the worst game in my entire life. And then you got the family, like, does your family, like, roast you? You're, like, when you're getting games, you get getting competitive, and they come at you. And then when you start losing, they're like, oh, yeah, how's it feel? Sucks, doesn't it? Like, they're kind of, like, up in your face, and they're like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's horrible. And, and I remember, like, I just had the worst hand possible over and over and over and over again. And I got so frustrated because I was so used to having a good hand that I had no idea what to do with a bad hand. <laughs> I had no idea, like, well, I don't even know how to like play. So then you start blaming people, right? You're like, well, it's because you shuffled it. Like you suck at shuffling or you're hiding cards under the table. Uh, you can't even do the bridge. Yeah, I can, you can. That's why you suck at shuffling. Like I'm getting all like particular about the certain things. And, and I remember like, I just, I really, what I didn't know how to do is I didn't know how to, how to deal with a, with a bad deck of cards. And sometimes you're just dealt a bad hand. You're, you're just dealt a bad hand. And what do you do when you're just dealt with a bad deck of cards? And so now you're born into this kind of cultural war zone and you're like, well, it's not fair and it sucks. And why me and why us? And we have people that are walking around hurting and wounded because of past dysfunction, maybe past or present dysfunction. Maybe it happened to you or you're born into it. You're hurt by the church, you're hurt by your friends, you're hurt by your family. And as we're getting older, young adults, what they're doing is we're accumulating emotional and spiritual baggage that they're never meant to carry. And then it gets really hard to love God and to love others. When you walk around carrying this emotional and spiritual baggage, it gets really, really hard to love others really, really well. Let me just paint it this way. We got a verse that I want to throw up. This is a heart, if you can't see. Any art majors in the room? Did I do okay? Oh, I got a thumbs up. All right, amazing. Uh, this, is a, this is the verse found in Matthew. I wanna, I want, you've heard this before, but I want to I kind of go over this. It, it, it's where it says this, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. See, we, we've gone over this verse before, and what, really what Jesus is doing, he's taking everything that's found in the Old Testament, everything that, that, that the law and the prophets, it just really boils down to two things. Love God, love people. Hey, I want to take what maybe seems really complicated, and I want to make it seem what's really simple. And then over time, when you begin to be, be hurt by others or when there's uh, emotional and spiritual baggage that begin to build up and you don't deal with it, when it actually comes to loving God with your whole heart and your whole soul, it actually becomes impossible because the emotional baggage or the spiritual baggage that you're not willing to deal with. And so now it actually makes it hard to, well, how do I love the Lord with all of my heart when I just constantly have baggage that I carry? And Paul goes on to even maybe just simplify it even more. Again, I'm just, this, this is an on-ramp into the thought tonight. I just, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. He's just taking everything. Hey, you know what? Jesus put it down to love God, love people. I just want to take it even simpler than that. Let's just boil it down to one word, love. And this is just the, 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 the prefacing thought. Before we really jump in, so I just feel the weight of like, how do I teach a whole sermon on God's love? <laughs> it's so big. It's so grand. It's so weighty. It's so, it's actually, you can't even comprehend it. But I think this is just a, a thought going into it. I want this to be the, the filter on how we actually view what is the fruit of the Spirit? What, what is love? I want to say this. We define love out of a kingdom culture. If you're taking notes, you're following along. We define love out of a kingdom culture. If you're new with us, maybe you're questioning things in your faith, I want to make it as clear and as candid as I can that we believe that the word of God is true. We believe that it's infallible, which means it has no record of being wrong. It has authority. And we teach Scripture just as narrow as Jesus taught truth. And so when this affects how we speak, what we say, how we say it, how we live. It's coming out of a biblical worldview, and we're trying to establish a kingdom culture, which is not a cancel culture. It's a counterculture. A kingdom culture is a counterculture. It's not something that we create. Jesus already created it. We just abide to it. Let me just... I'll do it this way. That was way louder than I thought. There is what is known as a worldly culture. You have that on one side, and then you have what's known as a kingdom culture. The world culture and just how we view things, how we say things you guys have been around maybe long enough, you know that ha- how we define things in our world changes and it evolves over time. How we, how we, how we, how we define identity, how we define marriage, how we define maybe social and political ideologies and views, these constantly change because the world's constantly changing. And so therefore, when the world is constantly changing and the culture and adapting to it, the kingdom culture's always been established because Jesus is the head of the church and this doesn't change. And then in the middle... You have what's known as a subculture, where sometimes we like to take and mix and match and like to blend things together. Well, what does the world say about sex? Maybe I can somehow blend it and move it here, and there's some version of this, and now it becomes a, a little bit of a confusing subculture. Maybe I try to take things of the world and I try to adopt it into, hey, no, this is what the Bible really talks about. This is what the Bible really says. How many universities maybe started out as Christian that are no longer Christian? How many hospitals started out as Christian that are no longer Christian? How many organizations that maybe had really strong biblical roots and and strong biblical values and maybe they're no longer Christian? And the first person that you recruit into the kingdom culture you're like, I, I, want, I want to live this out. Jesus is the head of the kingdom culture. He's the one who established it. He's the one who, who, who created it. And we follow that kingdom culture. The first person you recruit into the kingdom culture is yourself. The first person you recruit into the kingdom culture is yourself. Again, I just want this to, to just to be a little bit of a filter, a little bit of an on rip into, into tonight. And if you don't own it personally, you cannot live it consistently. If you can't own this personally you can't live it consistently if you don't own it personally you cannot lead it corporately for those that are maybe here tonight you serve in next gen at our church how many serve in, in student ministry kids ministry come on yeah next gen is an awesome place to. we talked about that a couple weeks ago we talked about what does it mean to make an impact and for those that maybe serve the next gen here see the, the students and kids you lead will probably only love jesus as much as you do if you don't embody him neither will they for those that want to have an impact on your sports team, if, if you don't allow yourself to abide to a kingdom culture, how are they ever going to know how great your king is? For those that are maybe wanting to tell others about Jesus in the workplace, all the invites that you had, hey, come to C12, come to church, I want, you, I want you to be here, it seems like a fail, and they keep saying no, well, maybe there's more power in living out a kingdom culture where they are instead of inviting people and just an invite to a church. I'm not saying inviting is bad. I'm not saying go against it. I'm just saying inviting shouldn't be the only tool in your tool belt. And I truly believe that people would say yes to an invite if they get a taste of it first. If you embody a kingdom culture, I think it's a bigger deal when the world sees you live out a kingdom culture wherever you are. If you think it's only the pastor's job is to love people and to do ministry I don't know what Bible you're reading, but it's the wrong Bible. <laughs> the pastor's job is to equip people for ministry. We all do ministry. Amen? We all are a part of ministry. We all embark in that. We all partake in that. Ministry is something that we all do. It happens here on Thursdays. It's why we gather. It happens outside of a Thursday. It happens wherever you go, at work, at school, in your home. See, th- th- this is what it means to live out a kingdom culture. And we come on Thursdays. Why? Because we want to gather We want to hear the word of God. Why? So I walk away transformed and I walk away being marked by God. So that way I go and live out of kingdom culture. And that's just the, the, the prefacing thought into tonight as we talk about the fruit of the spirit. Here's more the, 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 the foundational stuff. When we go over the fruit of the spirit, well, what is it? I don't know if I can en- en- encompass all of it. It might feel a little scattered. It might feel not as structured as what you're used to. I'm just trying to make sense of like, hey, what, what is God's love? And I just, instead of trying to maybe come up with points, I just gave you more scripture. <laughs> you all right with that? <laughs> and maybe it's just really reading through God's word of knowing what, what, is, what is the love of God? How, does that, how do you actually encounter the love of God? How does it change you? But you see this in, in Galatians 5. It says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the first one that we're going to go over. And I just want to, for the next even several weeks, we're going to unpack the fruit of the Spirit and how we live this out in our own personal life. And I just want you to think of, hey, what, what is maybe a way that the world would define as love? Just go ahead and shout it out. A way that you think, hey, the world would define love as this. Okay. Awesome. Check. Uh, We got the first one up there. Uh, Next one. Yeah, yeah. Tolerance. Praying for people in line behind you at Chick Fil A. Oh, I was like, wow. We got. That's a great answer. Okay. (laughs) Like, uh, I'll just say. I'll say good deeds. Transactional. Uh oh. Selfish. What else? Another way that maybe the world would define it as as love. We capped out. All right, let's move on. (laughs) This is a, a, I'm glad you said that, selfish. Maybe the world defines love as as something that is selfish. How many at one point, you struggled with just the concept of being selfish? Just be honest. Uh, we had a lot of liars in the room. You better raise your hand. You know, like at some point you're like, I just, I struggled with being selfish. I struggled with like, oh, like I just want to do it the way that I want to do it. And sometimes there's no, there's like this, the, the big indicator, I feel like this selfishness comes out inside of me is when you decide where you want to go to eat. How many of you, you're like, man, you've gotten like into like debates with your friends about where you're going to eat. You're like, Uh, One person wants Mexican, the other person wants Chinese. And you're like, we got to settle. All right, DoorDash. Thank you, Jesus. Like... This is how it works out. Like how many, like, uh, and, and there's uh, literally there's these moments where I'm like, uh, ah, just comes down to like when, when someone picks a restaurant and I'm like internally, I'm like, oh my gosh, I would barf if I ate that right now. And selfishly, I just want to go ahead and eat something else. Like this is the worst thing. Nothing. There's no more selfish desire that comes out when someone's like, I want this restaurant and you're like, I, I love you. Love you. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm really glad that we can go there. Um, and there's this element of like, man, I just struggle with being selfish. The world might define this as being selfish. And love, it's, it's transactional. Love is like, hey, what, what's in it for me? What do I gain out of it? I just wanted to, to just read scripture like, what, what is love? It says this if I speak in tongues, again, this is Paul talking. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's walk out, amen. So God, I just pray. (laughs) See, love is this this element of like, well, how do you define love? It's wrapped up in that verse right there that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love is not selfish. It is not about what's in it for me. If I could just boil it down into maybe just one statement, it's that love is sacrificial and selfless. Love is sacrificial and selfless. That when love maybe in a world culture is about what's in it for me and it's transactional and what do I get out of it? See, a lot of us, when we thought of love, okay, the, the, the world defines love as something that is just, well, it's just all about sex. It's, all about, just, it, it's just all about transactional, some selfish thing of what I get out of it. The kingdom defines love as something that, that, that is patient, as something that is kind. It's always about others. The world culture of how we define love is what does it mean inwardly for me? The kingdom culture defines love about what does this mean for others? How does this affect other people? How does this change other people's life? I want to read another verse in 1 John. It's it's a hefty passage. I just want to camp inside a part of it. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God would send his only son into the world that we might live through him. And a sense of love, you know what? The love was always about giving. Love was always about sending. Love was always about others. It goes on in verse 11. So beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's this command. You see this all throughout scripture of what even Jesus in the gospel is asking. Hey, just go ahead and love each other. I want to make it very simple. What it practically means to be about others, what it practically means to actually bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit is that you would actually genuinely be loved by God and be be marked by God so much that you would in turn go and love somebody else. If the love of God stops at you, I would argue that it probably wasn't the love of God. Because bearing fruit is the byproduct. And so next point. Bearing fruit is the byproduct. We camped inside this verse last week where it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. What is he trying to get at? Jesus is just saying, hey, you, you can't fake it. You can't fake it. Eventually, it's going to come out. Eventually, really, who you are at your core, it's going to show it's this. All this is is just a symbol. Like, hey, the, the tree. This is who you are. The fruit is the result. What's hanging? That 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 that's the fruit. And that's the result of how healthy the tree is. Eventually, it reveals itself. And sometimes you really, really get to know people the closer you get to them, don't you? Like your your friends, your roommates. I Actually, got some of my friends here tonight that I live with. Uh, we didn't plan for this. Uh, I'm I'm sharing a story about roommates. It's not you guys. Uh, Um, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. John and Jacob. Sure. Uh, uh, this was a roommates that was, uh, back, uh, when I was in South Dakota and, uh, and, and, how many have ever once lived with roommates, uh, at one point in your life in college, uh, even now you live with roommates. Uh, you really, you really get to know people when you live with roommates, don't you? And you find all the flaws, uh, man, who, who takes out the trash? Who's the dirtiest? Uh, whose shoes smell horribly, uh, whose toothbrush somehow ended up on the ground, uh, like just, just, the, just the weirdest stuff. And uh, when I was in South Dakota, it was the one thing, Uh, One of my roommates would do is that he would just every uh, almost every night he would just bake like this massive dinner. He would use almost like every pot and pan. I grew up in a household where my dad was like, "Hey, you get two pans. I don't care what you make. It's two pans. You don't get a lot of choices because I'm not clean up after you." And I was like, "Yes, sir. Uh, Reporting for duty." (laughs) Like I was, I always grew up in this, and so he just use every every single pot and pan. And what he would do, he would just leave it sitting in the sink. How many of you just like, "Oh, that would bother the living?" crap out of you. You're like, "Dude, this would this would be the my nightmare." And after everything, and it'd be like the most just like rigorous meal. It'd be like some gourmet chicken with every spice on the planet, every sauce, every bowl, every measuring cup, just like all thrown in the sink. And uh, I, I, multiple times I had to like clean up. And so there's one occasion where I was like, dude, I'm just, I'm sick of this. Like I'm, I'm, I'm over it. Uh, and there was a, you know, I'd, I'd sent like, oh, the reminders, like, Hey, you know what, dude? Like, uh, I know you're out the door, but like, you might as well go ahead and like clean up your dishes. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, uh, and then you like had to do the reminder again. And you're like, Hey man, I cleaned up your 4,000 plates and your uh, 6,000 bowls. Can you go ahead and, 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 and take care of that? Like, yeah, man, I got you. And it just kept happening again and again. And there's always a tipping point, right? There's always a tipping point inside of it. Maybe you're in this room when you're married and you're like, you hit the tipping point and you're like, oh my gosh, if they don't do it, I'm gonna lose my mind. Uh, and, 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 and I got to the point where I was like, dude, forget it. I'm not cleaning up after him. So I took all the dishes that he used and I put them in his room. I took the pan that had like chicken and everything on it. I like set it in his room. I, I uh, the, the bowl of fish I hid under his mattress. I, I put uh, uh, the shoe and I, I literally dumped the eggs in his shoes and I stuffed it in his closet. And I took his sheets and I just started uh, cleaning all the bowls with, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, relax. Like I didn't, I didn't actually do that, I'd chill. Some of you guys are like, he's the worst pastor. Uh, he's horrible. <laughs> I just, I had to get a reaction. I had to get a reaction out of you. But I did, I did. I put it in his room because I got so, I didn't do all the other stuff. I put it in his room, uh, but I, just got, I, got, I got so sick and tired of it because you you will clean up your junk if it's close enough to you. You'll, you'll clean up the mess if it's close enough to you. <laughs> like it, it. you weren't expecting to come in and 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 oh, well, yeah, there's my frozen pizza pan. <laughs> I just got so sick of it. I just put it, put it at his... Feet. See what I just got so sick and tired of cleaning somebody else's junk. See, over time, the closer you are with people, sometimes it just really exposes who you always were. You get to know someone for who they really are. You get to really know someone for. I mean, all their flaws, and I just got to really know him for for who he was, and here's all the junk that he didn't do, and you know what? I was like, hey, at some point, you can portray yourself as being clean, and you can portray yourself as being put together, but I promise you, like, come over to our house. How many of you guys, when you invite people over, you just chuck stuff in the closets. You're like, dude, scramble mode, vacuum, uh, I don't know what this is from, throw it under the bed, Uh, and and you you just have people come over, and you all seen the video where someone runs up the stairs, and they go into your room, and no one ever does that, Uh, but at some point, point like you, you you can't hide you can't hide the mess that's really there because the mess and the junk eventually shows this is what this whole thing is getting at it doesn't matter how you try to portray yourself it doesn't matter what you try to project eventually you're going to the the fruit's going to be evident the fruit is the result of all of it you can try and portray yourself as a good tree but you know what if there's bad fruit hanging all it is the is symbol of what the of what the tree's condition always was Let me just give an example in the Old Testament. This happened with David. It says this in 2 Samuel it says, It happened in the spring of that year, at the time when kings go out to battle. Then David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired him about the woman. Okay, David, chill out. You can laugh at that, that's okay. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her and he came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. Okay, what, what is happening here? It's the first time in David's career that he did not go out to battle as the king was supposed to do. See, even at the very first, at the very beginning, it says at that time when kings go out to battle, it means, hey, David, you're a king, which means that you go out to battle. This, this is what your responsibility is. This is, what you're, this is what you're supposed to do. And for the first time in David's career, he didn't go out to battle, and instead he stayed at home. And what ended up happening is they slept with Bathsheba. And then he, he, he basically got Uriah killed in battle because you know what? Go ahead. I'm, I'm, go do what I'm not willing to do. Go ahead and go off to war, but I'm, I'm going to camp back here. And towards the end, in verse 26, he when, says, when the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. What David did was he said, hey, you know what? You know the thing that I usually do as a king? Yeah, I go out to battle. I'm on the front. I'm in charge. I'm the one that that, that, that that's in the front. I'm one one kind of leading the way. I'm, I'm the commander. Hey, you know the thing I'm supposed to do? Yeah, you go ahead and do it. Yeah, you, you, you go ahead and tackle it. David wasn't supposed to be at home. David was supposed to be in the war. And David delegated his own God-given responsibility to somebody else. David was not practicing what he was quote-unquote preaching. He's not living out what he's supposed to. He wasn't doing the thing that he's asking other people to go and do. And eventually, over time, his character became true. See, when you stay at home and you send everyone else to war, it usually leads to your own downfall. And my fear is hang with me for a second. My fear for us as young adults, my fear is that we're spending way too much time crafting the Christian image rather than building a holy character. It'd be my fear that we tried to just, you know what, grow up. And just put on the image, put on the facade. And you know what? Sometimes serving people is hard, but you know what? We're going to go ahead and do it anyways. (laughs) Sometimes loving people we don't like is extremely difficult, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. Sometimes what it actually means to love people takes time, and it's a commitment, and it's hard, and it's a journey. But you know what? It it just requires more than you want to give, but we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. Sometimes serving people is hard because naturally you feel like, oh, I'm just I'm selfish and I don't want to be selfless. It's actually going to take a lot more more of me than what I thought. But you know what? We're going to go ahead and do it anyways. Sometimes it's actually just staying in the trenches and it's actually just trying to like man, just trying to put it all together and love on a family that you feel like you don't want to love and to love people that are extremely difficult and to do things that you don't want to do. But you know what? We're going to love and we're going to fight and we're going to give and we're going to serve and we're going to pray and we're going to do it anyways because I'd rather fail in the battle than. than, than, than really allow my character to crumble when I stay at home. I would rather fail in the battle, get it wrong. You know what? Let's go ahead and stay in the trenches. Let's go ahead and continue to love people and fight for people and pray for people and serve people. I'd rather get it wrong there than stay at home and watch my character crumble. Because when you don't practice what you preach, your character fails. When you don't practice what you preach, your character fails. Listen, I think there's the invitation. It's for all of us, not just for me. It's for everybody. I think the invitation is to, is God is inviting you to go to war and stop staying at home. God is inviting you to go, to go do the very thing that I've asked you to do. Go step in on the front lines. Go ahead and keep serving people. Go ahead and love people. Go ahead and, 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 and serve other people. Go ahead and start making an impact inside C12. Go ahead and start making an impact inside Next Gen. Go ahead and start making an impact inside of a global scale. Because the whole point is that, hey, we'd be on the front lines and not sitting at home while we just sent out other people to go and fail in the trenches where God's called me to go. And for some of us, maybe it's extremely difficult. Like, how do, I, how do I love deeply? How do I love other people really well? I just want to end with this thought and worship. You guys can come back up. and It's in 1 John Says this, and so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know and we rely on the love that God has for us. See the goal as a young adult, one of many, it's actually to have as least baggage as possible. To have as least baggage as possible. See, in dating, you want to have and come with at least as least date as least baggage as possible. When you're when you're married, you want to just you, that's why you go to premarital counseling. That's why you take the steps that you that you go to before being married because you want to have as as least baggage as possible. Because when you become married, you find out, hey, their baggage is my baggage. The things that they're carrying now, I carry it. You want to have as least baggage as possible inside relationships. You want to have as, as little baggage as possible, and we don't want to put our baggage to become somebody else's pressure. And so, oftentimes, as young adults, we have to learn of what it means. actually get rid of and be healed of emotional and spiritual baggage and we live in a world where everyone is carrying a lot of baggage and we feel an immense amount of pressure whether it's internal or external we feel just weary and burdened by the amount of baggage that I carry personally by the amount of pressure that I feel like I have to live in by the amount of just angst and anxiety that I feel like I have to deal with and it's this verse that I'm reminded of all the time that's in Matthew 11. It says, Come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. And here's what we do Sometimes when we have a lot of pressure, when we have a lot of baggage, when we have a lot of stuff going on in our life, whether it's internal or it's external, when Jesus says, come to me, maybe sometimes our response is, no, you, Jesus, you come to me. Don't you understand the, the, the crap that I'm in? Don't you understand what I'm, what I'm wrestling with? Don't you understand the pain? Don't you understand the suffering? Don't you understand the hurt? No, you, Jesus, you come down to me Don't you see what I'm wrestling with? Don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you see the problems? Are you not mindful of what I'm in? Are you not mindful of my journey? Do you not care about what I'm going through? And when we say, come to me, this is Jesus' response to us. And sometimes out of our own anger, out of our own hurt, out of our own bitterness, you you say, no, you come to me. See what I'm going through. See what I have to deal with. See what all the pressure's upon me. See what I have to endure. Don't you even understand it? Don't you even see it? And Jesus has this response to you. Which says, hey, no, 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 I I understand it, I see it, but I want you to come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, whatever it is that you carry, whatever it is, that, whatever your baggage is, whatever the hurt is, there is nothing too small, there is nothing too big, there is nothing too long ago, there is nothing that is too insignificant for God to heal and to God to do a work in your life. That is the love of God that he would, hey, come to me all who are weary. I want to give you something better. And what I love about Emily's story and what she shared at the beginning and says, hey, you know what? I came in, I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel believed in. I didn't feel loved in. And sometimes it's really, really hard to love other people because we don't know how to accept the love of God for us. And so now all this past baggage and this hurting and the shame and the things that we have to go through, it leads us into this perpetual cycle of shame. Well, because of the sin that I now have to struggle with, it pulls me into a deeper pit of shame. Because of my past, it always keeps coming back, and now I'm being pulled into a deeper pit of shame, and it feels like we can just never get out of the shame cycle. And when there's secret shame, the way to endure the love of God is to have continual confession. I mean, you know what? Hey, God, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. And I'm broken, and I'm messed up. But you know, God, hey, I, I got sin in my life, and there's junk going on, and there's stuff that I have to endure. But you know what, God? I just, I need to be reminded, God, that you do love me. And I, be, I need to be reminded, that God, that you still believe in me. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what you're dealing with. I don't know what you're going through. But I want to encourage you tonight that there is a God who sees you. There is a God who loves you. There's a God who knows you and there's a God who's mindful of you in every area of your life. I was reminded of this this morning. I was meeting with uh, a love to death, great friend, mentor, counselor, leader in my own life. His name is Ronnie Brasfield. Uh, he does a, a lot of counseling uh, through 12 Stone and a lot of people send um Uh, We send a lot of people to, hey, if you need just a a deeper work inside your life, you need to walk through something. And I usually point a lot of people to to Ronnie. And after every single meeting with Ronnie, every single time, he just stands up and he just gives me a hug. And he says, I love you and I believe in you. Sometimes I'm like, I forgot what we even talked about. I forgot what we went what we we like what we went over. I forgot about what the whole meeting was about. Sometimes the only thing I remember after every single meeting is that after every encounter with Ronnie, I'm remembered, "Hey Alex, I love you and I believe in you." In the moments where you don't feel like you hear God the most, I was reminded this morning <laughs> through Ronnie, "Hey, in the middle of whatever you go through, hey, I love you and I believe in you." And maybe you just need that. You need that reminder. You need that reminder that God loves you and that God believes in you. God loves you and God believes in you. Let me pray. So God, I just pray, Father, over people in the room. God, I pray, God, that we'd be reminded of the love that you have for us. You're the same, you're the same God today. You're the same God who still does miracles. You're the same God who still demonstrates his love. You're the same God who still cares for people. You're the same God who still heals people. You're the same God who still still heals things of our past. You're the same God who out of your grace and out of your mercy, it covers our shame. And, and God, you're, you're the same God. And God, would you remind people that you love them, that you care for them no matter what they go through, whatever it is that you're wrestling with, go ahead and just lay that at his feet. Whatever hurt, whatever baggage, whatever insecurity, whatever sin struggle, you go ahead and you just lay it at his feet. And so God, we just come to you. God, as broken as we are, as honestly as we know how, boy, God, we just come before you. We pray this in your name, amen. And we're gonna just continue to worship. And maybe for you, I wanna just give you permission. If you wanna kneel, you can kneel. If you wanna stand, you can stand. If you need to go to the back of the room and you just need to journal, things that you got to maybe just confess and there's things that are going on in your own personal life and you got to confess that to other people we want to just give you space to go do that maybe pull a friend off to the side just say hey i'm wrestling with something i just feel the shame and this guilt and i just want to experience the love of god i just want you to to feel free to get up move around take whatever time take whatever posture you need but whatever you do let's step into his presence and allow god to speak to you so
0: Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. To stay connected with C12, make sure to follow us on Instagram at C12stone. One of the best ways to get connected with others and grow in your relationship with God is jumping into a small group. To sign up for small groups, go to 12stone.com slash small
2: groups and search college. We hope to see you next week.